Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about the seven best popes of all time. Yeah, these men who sat on the chair of St. Peter influenced society, culture, and the world in ways that few men ever have. Real popes of genius. They're the best. Well, I mean, let's dig in. This is going to be a good episode. I'm, I'm really curious to find out, you know, because I do a lot of background work on the shows. You know, I do a lot of <laughs> research and, you know, I'm really Friends, curious. this is entirely untrue. Yeah. Research and development. He right? rolls, know out, it. He I rolls get, out of bed. People be face-tweeting me. All right, about it. All right, like Dylan Cross, you're doing so much excellent research. I see where you're at. When do you sleep, bro? That's right. Mm -hmm. So about three or four times a day (laughs) in my chair. You do. Okay, so I'm curious, like, where did this, where did this list come from? And I'm impressed by the list. So great job, dude, because these are some impressive popes. And the thing that I love about the most is that they were reform. A number of them are reformers. And they're truly revolutionary to their time period. And they had no fear of confronting ideologies of their days that were crippling a lot of uh, Europe and and a lot of the world. So these are paradigms of both manliness and holiness and of the Petrine ministry. But I can't take full credit for compiling this list. Really? So actually, I was lucky enough to be able to reach out to one of my favorite authors and a guy who wrote one of the books that I've probably read more than just about any book, and that's Vicars of Christ, and it's a history huh. of the papacy by Charles A. Cologne. And he was gracious enough uh, when I sent him a message to help compile this list. So it was a real honor and uh, you know, a shout-out to him. Oh, for sure. And definitely yeah. go out and look for that book. It's an incredible book. It takes the history of the entire papacy and allows you to, in a very— uh, engaging and narrative way, understand the the flows of the histories of the of the church through the lens of the chair of St. Peter. So oh, check it out, but yeah. Yeah, check that out. And I think, you know, I mean, most people wouldn't return a phone call back from Ryan. I they think wouldn't. if it weren't, if it weren't for our listeners, like <laughs> well, you, you probably look, wouldn't get return phone calls. Look, one, one of the great things about the talk show that we're, we're doing here that, you know, we've been at this for over a year now and we've, we're doing pretty good. We got listeners on Six continents, and I, there might even be a penguin or two on Antarctica who listens to us. <laughs> uh, so are you saying that I could reach out to anybody now? And, and I, have, You know, maybe. I mean, they're calling Ryan back. Man. <laughs> so you're saying there's hope. <laughs> there's always hope. For you? Well, for me. Maybe. Yeah, but Him, it's, it's already been confirmed. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, pretty I mean, impressive. Look, I could reach out I'm to one of my favorite authors. emailing authors. Yeah, I yeah. could reach out to one of my favorite authors and be like, happy to help. So They're going to wow. know you don't read a lot. <laughs> yeah. Just by the way you talk to them. So, uh, all right. So because we have a great listener base and Ryan can get phone calls back, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us? So and, if and you do read, friends? I need you to read that Earl up there, <laughs> URL, and put in the Catholic talk show. Okay. When you do, you're going to be able to subscribe, get emails from us, and then you'll see every way that you could listen in or view on YouTube and be sure, especially if you're a YouTube fan. And even if you're not, go to YouTube right now. Do it. Put the Catholic Talk Show in, Earl. subscribe, and put that little bell. I want you to click the little bell, and when you do, you're going to get every single video that we produce right into your happy home or on your tablet or your phone. So, my friends, 
we're going to jump into this. The popes, the greatest popes. Before we do, we want to give a shout out to our greatest Patreons because our patrons are the ones that are making sure that this show continues. So we want to thank you very much for that. And if you are considering becoming a patron, please go to patreon.com forward slash the Catholic talk show. And that's the way that you can help help us continue to grow this show. All right. So who's the first poet? I mean, we've got to give a shout out to, you know. Right. So I didn't think it would be fair on the list of seven best popes to have an unfair, <laughs> uh, I guess, comparison to the greatest pope, and yeah. that's St. Peter. And Jesus himself chose him, so, I mean, that's kind of important. <laughs> that's right. Now, you, you can't really top that, so I didn't think that including him would make sense. Yeah. So, But he definitely deserves mention. I mean, Honorary mention, right? Not even did, yet. Did, did the author mention him? He's like in a class did in you, and of himself. He is. Right. It's like how... George Washington, they they actually passed a law in Congress that there can never be a general that outranks him. So he's actually the history, he's the nation's only six-star general. You can never have a general with more stars than George Washington. I didn't realize that. That's a neat little tidbit. And it's kind of the same thing with Pope Peter. Yeah. Which is, you know, you don't really say Pope Peter. Papa Pete. Yeah. But he deserves to be on this list. Uh, He was the one selected by Jesus himself. He is the Mm -hmm. rock and it is his chair. Mm. And all of these popes are his successors. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think definitely making sure that we mention him, but in the context of this mm-hmm. list, uh, Peter deserves his own episode because that's, you know, he's, he's the pillar of the church. For sure. Delacross, in your experience of St. <laughs> Peter through the scriptures and in your devotion and your travels, what would you say are some of his greatest attributes? Uh, you know, his... Uh... Well, I'm, I take a lot of, I get a lot of hope from him mm-hmm. in scripture because, I mean, the dude wasn't right. You know, I mean, he just time and time again, you know, just mm-hmm. proved that he was not worthy of, you know, running a shop in a in a store somewhere. You know, well, some, that's not true. He was he was an excellent fisherman. He, he ran a good fishing business. Okay, okay. he yeah. had multiple nets, multiple boats. So you know, he was a successful businessman. All right, well, we're Galilee. making these are these are claims that you're making that okay, we can substantiate. <laughs> they're, they're certainly inferred to make substantiate. I, I just I, I I draw I draw a lot of inspiration and hope. I very I draw a lot of tenderness from his heart yeah. to Jesus and and the contrition that he has. You know, um, for 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 not believing uh, the fact that you know he wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. That um, you know before the cock crowed three times. You know, uh, those types of things like really give me a lot of hope mm-hmm. that God is is really merciful and mm-hmm. and it helps me to engage in the with the mercy of God more freely mm-hmm. than say you know some sort of righteousness that could pervade my my consciousness, you know, I completely agree with that. And I I think to sum it up, my experience is like malleable, like he's malleable in the hands of, of the potter, you know, like he's malleable in the hands of God. And it's because of his humility, he recognizes his faults, but he doesn't run away because of his failure. Yeah. He continues to return to the hands of God. He continues to return to the hands of Christ, who is forming him to be this great leader. But ultimately, it comes down to the fact that he's malleable. He, he can he can truly be molded right into into because this position. He, because in Acts, like I mean, he did a lot of great works, yeah. you know, and preached and you know gave his life, you know, mm-hmm. for for Christ. And and so yeah, you definitely see that this this man, you know, becoming an apostle and, and, you know, becoming the first leader of the church. Uh, For sure. 
It's yeah. beautiful. What's that saying though? It's like he he does not call the qualified. God does not call he, the qualified. He, he qualifies those who he, whom he calls. That's right. Yeah. And and I think Peter is a perfect example of that. Yeah. But as we go through this list, no doubt in my mind that humility in the sense of being malleable in the hands of God is absolutely stringed through all no, of you, these you people. You keep saying malleable, and I and I think it's. You know, looking at geology, how mm-hmm. rocks are formed, mm-hmm. they are they are they start off as um, hot magma, typically, right? And then they're formed, magma. and they and they, I like they, where you're they, going they, with they this. They are cooled and tempered magma. and turned into rock. We'll keep it going, and they're heated by outside pressures. And I think the same with with Simon. Excellent. You know, with uh, Simon Barjona, he was heated by the pressure of. That's being part of my with the Lord, and then he was part of my turned research. into magma, and then cooled and through that process, mm. became a rock. Oof. Now, can I say, we always hit the heresy button. That's been consistent from our first show. But every now and then, there's a brilliant button that comes out. And that doesn't I think, happen too often. Brilliant! <clears throat> there That's you go. from all the research that I did. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, you told him before the show? Hot <laughs> magma. He did. He wrote Hot the, I'm just, magma. I'm just, I'm just, I just read what notes. Ryan writes for me. <laughs> I mean, That's a beautiful... Uh, Analogy, yeah, man. My favorite, I love that, dude. That's my, excellent. My favorite story of Peter in the Gospels when, um, after the resurrection, when he sees Jesus at the shore mm-hmm. and he just jumps off the boat. Love he ties that. up his robes, jumps off the boat, and swims. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that is leaving the catch. Yeah, and and leaving everyone else, leaving behind. everybody else. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. Awesome. I can't imagine. It's not in scripture, but I can't imagine if. Being there when Mary saw Jesus for the first time, yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would have been beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, as we're talking about the papacy and the, and the seven best popes, we have to talk Matthew 16, 18, and why there is even a pope. And that's because Jesus knew that he wasn't always going to be here in his earthly ministry and that he would need a vicar to execute the the will for uh, Jesus' will for the church and to protect the church and to be the sign of unity and to provide a... Just like he provided for Peter in the storm a safe ship, he needed someone to provide a safe ship for the Christians that would follow. And in Matthew 16, 18, he says that, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And 2,000 years later, we've had great popes, we've had terrible popes, we've had mediocre popes, we've had popes who were killed, we've had popes who were all sorts. And we've had popes who had pet elephants. We have. Wow. Yeah. We've had popes with fancy shoes. Oh, Or normal yeah. shoes. Or normal shoes. Or sandals. Sandals, right? Yeah. Or, or no shoes. I wonder if we ever yeah. had a pope with Birkenstocks. Those are pretty comfortable. Uh, Here's a shout out, out to one of our sponsors, Birkenstock. They're not <laughs> one of our sponsors. <laughs> <They're> not, <okay. laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Petrine ministry is incredibly important to both the lives of Christians the, as a sign of unity, as a ship in the storm, and as a way to arbiter what will naturally happen throughout history, that there's going to be disputes and uncertainty on how to live in the light of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think all of these seven popes really typify that. They oh, yeah. really exercise the Petrine ministry yeah. in a excellent mm-hmm. and... Well, uh, I mean, just the foundation that all these popes had, it was, it was Peter giving his life, and then the next 33 or whatever were all martyred too as well, mm-hmm. right? So you had this... Like for centuries, uh, the Pope was generally speaking martyred and talk know? about the seedbed of the church and yeah. the development and the event evangelical curve of what was happening. It was done and commissioned through the martyrdom yeah. of these popes. Yeah. Right? 
and and the and the Roman martyrs. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's impressive to think about that. Yeah. It's a great point, Ryan. All right, so Thanks, get the list. hey Ryan Delacross. Thanks, Father. I'm just you reading my so notes smart, on you. You're just a good reader. <laughs> you should read it, Master. Are you a lector? <laughs> you read so well. He's Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> butchers it every time. <laughs> Remember the mass that we had? Remember that? So we were celebrating mass in the uh, in the studios once before. And remember he starts reading. Yes. He starts reading the epistle and he's like, Someone want to read this? I'll just read it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like the crossing thought of and Ryan Delacroix. So, Anybody? So we had we had about ten okay, people in this mass, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then, and me and Father both understand Ryan's ways. And for some reason, I looked up at him, and when we made eye contact, yeah. we were like, <gasps> and then we and had we, to hold our breath and like I, look we, down. It was so hard not to laugh. Oh, I know. Oh my gosh, those are the best the moments. The best. They are the best. All right. They are the best. Let's get into the seven best popes. Okay. Okay, first one on our list of best popes, we selected Pope Leo the Great. Pope Leo the Great was the first pope to earn the title of the Great, and, and naturally he should appear on any list of best popes. Um, he was a uh, pope in the early, well, early to mid-5th century. And his writings, the guidance he gave to the church at a very pivotal time, uh, about 100 years after the legalization of Christianity, when it was really becoming, still, I would say the church as we know it now is in its formative phases. Mm-hmm. And this is after uh, a few of the councils that really defined our, our doctrine. And his stewardship and his shepherding of the church of these times laid the foundation for the next 1,500 years to where if it had not been for this pope in this period of time, the church would have... Uh, looked remarkably different. Hmm. You know, some of the things that Leo accomplished in his in his papacy, uh, he really set up the administration of the church in ways that had never been organized before. He's a real organizer. Now, I know you, uh, now as the pastor of John Paul II in Nagati, you definitely can have some sympathy at the difficulties of organizing the just the day-to-day structure and the running mm-hmm. of the church. It's not an easy task, and it's one that a lot of people... Uh, misunderstand or don't appreciate enough about priests is that there's a lot of administrative work. There is. Yeah. You know? And I was I was on a phone call prior to this episode that we're shooting yeah, for about 30 minutes, specifically addressing that. Yep. So yep. he was he was an excellent administrator and he set up the structures that would allow the church to flourish. It allowed it to uh, be able to evangelize new lands because there was such a, a good organization. And good organization, I mean it can't be overstated. Now mm-hmm. he also was instrumental in fighting the heresy of Pelagianism. Mm-hmm. And Pelagian- Pelagianism. Pelagianism was essentially the heresy that grace was not necessary for salvation, but was a a, a gift God gave mm-hmm. it to special people. So mm-hmm. it was really a, a heresy talking about the nature of grace and the nature of grace's necessity in salvation. Mm-hmm. And and Pelagian, it, like, it's, it was a complete rejection of uh, a biblical sense of grace and how, you know, we always hear the sense grace builds on nature. You know, we depend on God's grace and it is by way of God's grace that we choose what we ought to yeah. and we choose what is good. We choose the virtue. And that's what Augustine really was fighting as well. But Leo the Great is, is that 
is that person who was uh, who was championing along with Augustine. It's it's to, also kind of curious that the church would would need organizational, um, you know, leadership at this time because it was just made legal. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. like less than a hundred years mm-hmm. prior, mm-hmm. the practice of the Christian faith was made legal and. Then this is probably out, out after the Arian heresy, mm-hmm. you yep. know, like this kind of like the newer. And when you think of the person of the vicar of Christ, what Sheil was sharing before, Jesus is entrusting this ministry and commissioning it in the in the person of the vicar of Christ and him tending the flock and the twelve apostles and the successors of the apostles were governed in thought by the magisterial teachings of the church. Mm-hmm. So we need that because the thought is what precedes the action. So our actions should be rooted in the thoughts that are uh, that are deeply orthodox and theological and philosophical in nature that will ultimately build this collaborative effort of unity and and really tend to the flock so that we are one. Amen. That we're not separating ourselves. Theology you know? matters. Yeah, theology matters. It, it does. does. Now Another thing that I think in the context of, well, let's go to this point first. The, another thing that has made me his most famous writing was the Tome of St. Leo. Mm-hmm. So at the Council of Chalcedon, they were, this was a, I guess the second part, you can almost call this the sequel to Nicaea, mm-hmm. right? Nicaea really dealt with the nature of Christ, but Chalcedon then had to talk about, does well, there's two natures of Christ, right? Uh, is there two wills? What is, what is the nature of the um, of Christ Himself, not in relation to the Father, but in relation to to Himself as true man and true God, mm-hmm. and that's what Chalcedon sought to uh, clarify. Now, there was a heresy; I think it's called uh, monotheism. I, th- I I don't think I pronounced that right. Mm-hmm. Mono monotholit mono something. <laughs> Look it up. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I read more than I talk, okay? So I, I know the word when I look at my Chalcedon. Yeah. I got that right. You said Chalcedon. Did I? Yes. I don't care. That's all right. I forgive you. All right. Anyway. We love you, Sheil. So Leo really helped to formulate the the, the doctrine that Christ, um, that was defined there, mm-hmm. that he does have two complete natures, human and divine, and that there was that in him, the hypostatic union between the divine and the human natures, and that mm-hmm. there were not some kind of weird half-breed intermingling of a half-God, half-man. Mm-hmm. And it really, God is, Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Mm-hmm. And Fully his, man, yes, fully God. So he helped define that, which is incredibly important. And there was actually a big split of the church at the time, even to the day, till this day, you'll have non-Chalcedonian Christians, like uh, some of the Coptics and some mm-hmm. of the um, churches of the of the east, um, particularly like the former Assyrian churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and then the consideration of Judaism and and our Islam brothers and sisters, you know, they they look at the person of Jesus Christ not in the sense of his divinity, mm-hmm. you know, that he is God made man, you know, he but they they look to him as like a prophet or mm-hmm. someone of notoriety, and yeah. So I mean, if you look at the Coptic Christians today in mm-hmm. Egypt, they're very old and very historic and have apostolic roots, but they split with the church and they are not, they are non, uh, because of this issue. Mm-hmm. So that's really the big divide between them. So it was a historically important issue. And, and going back, Egypt at the time was, I mean, in the f- middle of the fifth century, you had 
the Western Empire, the Eastern Empire, and Egypt, and they were really, all three of them were as powerful. That was the patriarchal, patriarchal uh, see of St. Mark. I mean, it was an important part of the church that split off over this issue. Mm-hmm. So it can't be overstated how important it was, his clarification. Mm-hmm. Now, two things that are really important about him that make him the great. So if you look at the context of his lifetime in the middle of the fourth century, what was happening? The Roman Empire was falling. And this institution that had held the world together for centuries was disintegrating rapidly. And uh, the last Roman emperor was overthrown in 476. So he is basically, he's in Rome as the world is crumbling around. I mean, imagine right now, I don't know, uh, what would happen if the United States government crumbled? Where, Where would the world be? This is the context that he is living in at the time. There's no civil services. People are starving. Uh, there's being raiding um, vandals and barbarians and uh, attacks at all times. Society is falling around everywhere. And Leo's leadership in this context basically established that the church would be the thing that came in and filled the power vacuum of the Roman Empire and essentially is what set up the whole uh, the whole structure of the Middle Ages for the next thousand years that the church would be at the center of society because it was the only one that was structured well enough, had a clear enough leadership that was able to guide the world. And without Leo, we would have been in the Dark Ages forever. And Leo is mm-hmm. the only thing that really, his papacy helped to prevent a much deeper decline in civilization after the fall of Rome. Mm. I mean, even even when... Rome was under attack and, you know, it was Leo courageously who, you know, stood up to the vandals, stood up to the barbarians, mm-hmm. stood up to, you know, Attila. And I mean, could you imagine? I mean, that, this that, old Pope, I mean, because he was old at the time. <laughs> but you know. but I, I relate him to St. Peter, too, because, you know, we, we look at his victory and I think Leo, we just look how powerful of a person he was, but you just wonder what was happening in the inner chamber of his prayer that is undocumented because he's entirely surrounded by ideologies that are attacking Mm -hmm. Christianity. And now he's looking at a true force that can absolutely wipe them out. The Huns had taken over enormous amounts of Europe. They were at the door of Rome and they were going to burn Rome to Mm -hmm. the ground because that's what they did. Attila the Hun was a magnificently uh, successful destroyer and conqueror. And he is at the gates of Rome with the Huns. I mean, just the idea of Attila the Hun in people's head is this guy is a barbarian king who just tears through anything in his path. Mm -hmm. And the only thing separating Attila and the Huns from the people of Rome and the the eternal city was this old man (laughs) in robes. Yeah, That (laughs) takes a lot of... This is a kid's show, so that takes a lot of gumption, Mm -hmm. you know? But that's why I love the relief over Leo the Great's altar in the Vatican, because it just shows his prayerfulness and his dependence on St. Peter and St. Paul and how they flight to his aid. So the divine assistance that we have in relationship to our faith and the battles that we face is right there. And that's why prayer is so ultimately important. The quo vadis, you know, Jesus on the road with Peter, you know, like, where are you going? You know, and, and, and Jesus is carrying his cross into Rome to be crucified again. 
It's like that same type of mustering up courage through the witness and testimony of the victory that Christ has won in the lives of the saints and the lives of these popes. And I think it's so important to realize that Leo the Great is is such an example. And there is an intercessor for us in our own battles. Yeah, Leo the Great saved theology. He saved the administration of the church. He saved the church for what it would be for the next thousand years by uh, establishing the church as the power, the thing that would fill the power vacuum of the Roman Empire, and physically saved Rome by uh, confronting Attila personally at the gates. So without Leo the Great, the church and history looks incredibly different. That's why he's on this list. All right. So Leo the Great, pray for us. Pray for us, my brother. All right. And plus, I need some administrative help. Pray for me, my brother. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) St. Richie the Great. Who's, who else is named <laughs> the Great? There's only other. There's only one other Pope officially Greg, given yeah, the title of the Great. Gregory the Great. But we, we. But, I always talk about uh, JP too. Like uh, well, John yeah. Paul. The, yeah. don't, don't give it away. What they're going to pay for, man? What are you doing? All right, oh, my bad. My bad. All my right. Bad, my B. So the second Pope on our list, and going with the theme of greatness, because when you're doing a list of the best, you have to start with greatness, and that's Pope Saint Gregory the Great. Now, Pope uh, Saint Gregory the Great, uh, he was Pope uh, in the. 580, so about 150 years after Pope St. Leo. And some of the things that Pope Gregory the Great accomplished, he accomplished a lot, but he was the first monk to ever be elected Pope. He had been a Benedictine monk. Hmm. So he brought that monastic and prayerful way of life to the papacy, and through that established a lot of the traditions and a lot of the... The did, ways they, did they have the College of Cardinals back then like we do now when no, they're elected Pope? Not, not what, yet. What is the, that came later in, yeah. the, in the history so of the So what, what was the tradition for you I, you know, know, passing then, the torch here? Then like the, the, the archdeacons and the priests of the archchurches of Rome would basically come to a consensus and the emperor, so either the Byzantine emperor, if you're talking about the Ravenna Exarchate, right. would ratify it, uh, or later the Holy Roman Emperor would ratify it. But... Uh, there wasn't, it was more of a popular election. Everyone just kind of knew who Pope was going to be. And in fact, Pope Gregory, the, what was it? Seventh was the one who introduced the uh, college of Cardinals and the electoral process. He's going to be on our list later. Oh, you just keep giving away all the, yeah. man, I'm just Great getting job, excited, man. man. Yeah, I know. You're like a kid on Christmas who who peeks at the presents, man. But uh, well, I, I'll keep my commentary to myself at this point, but that's an important, that's an important piece. It, it very is. Delacrosse brought up. So uh, some of the other things that he did is he, uh, he commissioned St. Augustine of Canterbury to mm-hmm. go and evangelize England. So he you know that was a that was the far edge of the world yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. So it shows his apostolic zeal, even though he had that Benedictine background. Um, he and I think one of the things that to this day really lives on in his name is his contributions both to literature and poetry in the church, but music. Mm-hmm. And when you hear Gregorian chant, it is named after Thanks him. Thanks be to God. Yes. So he just like made it up. Well, no, but a lot of it he did. He wrote a he lot was, of the he Gregorian was a chants. Yeah, yeah. Is this after Guido made the notes? No, Guido, Guido was in the year about Guido 1000, was his right hand man. Oh, so there was no notes in there was Gregorian no notes. chant? No. At that time? No, he no. he wrote them down. And he, he set up the Schola Cantorum. He codified uh, the, the songs that the church would use in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the Antiphonary, he compiled that as well. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he made... Massive contributions to to the way Catholics worship. Worship, yeah. The sacred treasure of music, and the fact that we have a treasury of it, is because of Gregory the Great. 
And I had an awesome experience with fellow students from Ave Marie University in our sacred music department. We went to Salem, France and studied under the Benedictines the various chant, and they're restoring a lot of chant. But when you think about how they you know, biblical stories, yeah, biblical stories were transmitted prior to anything being written down in scrolls through oral tradition, and a lot of that oral tradition was communicated by way of rhythm and and melody and chant. Yeah, like yeah because, because it's a very predictable rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you, when you and, when it, you and it helps you to memorize the text. Yeah. You, That's like the same way, like the like the bards or, or like Homer. Mm-hmm. These song, you know, we look at like the Odyssey. This was a song; it wasn't mm-hmm. just a long poem. So the song helped it to be, like you said, That's a really awesome point. Mm-hmm. That is, the rhythm helps the the memory and the mm-hmm. well, yeah, pretty cool. Pre- and then when you accompany, you know, that's what you had to do. Absolutely, you had to sing a little bit. Um, and for you, you guys that don't know, there's another episode where we talked about the was it the worst Catholic. No, Psalms so or? no. Guido of Arezzo was a a, a Catholic uh, monk, monk who had who established the musical notation right. system. And for some for some reason, we talked about him, and I remembered, and so I just yeah. wanted to bring that. Yeah, up. Just because his name was Guido. Guido. <laughs> uh, some of the other things that he did is that he, again, going back to that administrative prowess, which you are developing. <laughs> No, I'm just being thrown into the deep end. Yes. <laughs> well, that's 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 the only way you're ever going to get no, out No, I, I, I love it. I absolutely so he, love it. So he reformed um, the ownership of church properties and the administration of properties, um, some of the things that Leo didn't have the chance to get to. And through that, he was able to generate budgetary surpluses, which now this is 150 years later, and Rome had fallen. And Rome was a mess, man. Rome before was a city of a million. At this point, it's probably down to 200,000 starving people living in muddy, infested streets. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this Pope Gregory is basically living as Pope in The Walking Dead. This is post societal breakdown. This is as bad mm-hmm. as it can get. And he fed the people of Rome by good administration. And through then, then he led them in worship through prayer. He wrote on extensively, he wrote on. Uh, spirituality. He wrote on pastoral care, and he was the first pope through these actions on how he was serving the people of Rome as the bishop of Rome and also as the pope. He was the first pope to give himself the title because he said, "I am the servant of the servants of God," and that is a title that popes still use to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing too. Like just uh, going to England and and converting them that that's a pretty big deal. Well, that was Augustine of Canterbury, but he had the foresight and the missionary yeah. and apostolic zeal to send people forth. And yeah. yeah. All right. So let's move on to number three. Number, number three. three. Seven are, they popes. In a, are they in like order by? Yeah, I listed them in order uh, chronologically okay. because I didn't want to then have a competition within the seven. Yeah. And you don't want to mess that up because they're in heaven right now. By the time you get on the list of, <laughs> one of best them might popes, be mad or something. Yeah. By the time you get on the list of best popes, it doesn't get better. It just gets different at that point. Okay. So these are the best popes, and they're all equally best. Okay. So the next pope that I want to talk about, now this is one of the popes that I've read a lot about, and I've always, I don't think he's very well known, but he, to me, is one of the most fascinating figures in all of history, and that is Pope St. Gregory VII. Now, how many people are out there like, yeah, Pope St. Gregory VII is my patron saint, or even know who he was? Mm-hmm. Um. Not me. Yeah. I thought you did all this research. I just made the show notes. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. 
So for most of his life, he was known as Hildebrand, right? And if, if he had never been elected pope, even his life as Hildebrand of Savona would have mm-hmm. made him a legendarily uh, impactful and powerful figure in the development of Western society. Mm-hmm. He was an incredible papal legate. He was a very amazing politician, uh, creating treaties and peace and reforms. So he was a very influential, I guess, you know, I don't want to, in today's world, it sounds bad, but he was a career church man, mm-hmm. right? And he was very, very effective at it. Now, and this is, that's an important point that you just brought up. A lot of times we, we denounce, and we were talking about this last night, actually, um, we denounce churchmen. We mm-hmm. denounce like, uh, you know, career politicians within the church. But when we think of the gift of administration, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's considered a gift. And it, it, we need that. I, I may not want to be that kind of careerism kind of. It's just really not, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And and I really, you know, I'm cool with just offering my little administration to my my little mission. But it it is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have to realize that the Greek word for administration is kubernesis, which gives a sense of like a shipmaster or a captain. And and it's used throughout the scriptures, Acts of the Apostles, Revelation, different locations um, in St. Paul. And to realize that Jesus is calling these captains and these people who are, you know, career oriented in, in the politics of the church, we need people to maneuver the, the ship. And it's a challenging, a challenging job. So I thank God for yeah. people who are pursuing, pursuing those realities. And it shouldn't be denounced. It's just, you know, obviously it needs to be accompanied by prayer and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Bad politicians ruin the word politician. Yeah, that's true. Bad churchmen ruin the the idea of bad churchmen. That's a but, great point. But good politicians greater, are so necessary. We good churchmen are so yep. necessary. It's a, yeah, it's definitely a greater position of a great a greater uh, a pool of people who are not good at it right. than there are good. Mm-hmm. But everyone complains mm-hmm. about the government until the garbage doesn't get taken out, and the roads don't get fixed. Mm-hmm. You always, you know, it's the that's you know, it's that squeaky <laughs> yes. wheel mentality. But look, thank God for them because yeah. they are doing things that that help society and community. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of those politicians deserve it, and a lot of climbers in the church deserve their bad reputation, but there's some that are effective administrators who are civilly minded or organizationally minded that are just absolutely necessary. And if you think that they're not, you don't understand the way the world works, True. and you're one of those people who wouldn't know what to do with mm-hmm. the garbage. And and speaking of Gregory VII, so, and, and organizationally, as we mentioned before, he was the one who put together the College of Cardinals for the electoral process. Yeah. So, you know. So there was cardinals before, but, bef- but before that, they didn't directly elect the pope. Mm-hmm. And so canon law was sh- changed. And, and that's also a point, too. When, when canon law is adjusted or, like, there's, am- you know, amendments to canon law or things that are added into canon law, you have to look at that as, like, wow, that's a this person's pretty progressive and— and they are reforming the church. So St. John Paul II, for example, mm-hmm. his, his yeah. you know, connections and not, to And not in the bad term of progressive that we think of, right. you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Small well, man, like, yeah. Vaping CBD and, you know, and people with batteries and CBD. stuff. CBD. <laughs> but, like, as in making real progress in the, the benefit of the church. Yes. Sometimes progressive yes. gets a bad term again, one of those words mm-hmm. that— uh, people think of progressives as destroying the things behind them. But, Socially mm-hmm. radical. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, it's an interesting thing that how he was elected, and I think a lot of this has to do with why he established the the election process oh. of the Pope. 
he was one of the very few popes who was elected by what's called popular acclaim. Mm -hmm. So when his predecessor died, the people of Rome uh, gathered outside of St. Peter's and started the chants that said, uh, let Hildebrand be pope, let Hildebrand Mm -hmm. be pope. And Hildebrand heard this. He was the archdeacon. A very catchy chant. Well, it sounds better in Italian. It sounds much better in Italian. <laughs> so he heard this and he and he took off running because he didn't want to be Pope because mm. he was a humble man, right? And he was, you know, like Benedict didn't really want to be Pope. He, he wanted to retire. Running. I love it. Benedict, Pope Benedict wanted it's to like, retire. like, run away, run away. Uh, head for the hills. Look, head for the hills. The hills would you want to be Pope? I mean, that's a lot Heck of work. no, dude. <laughs> no, that's why they have, after the Pope oh, is God elected, bless. they go into the room of tears because they cry oh, because yeah. the weight of a billion people's on your shoulders. <laughs> And I can't souls. even imagine being a bishop like these bishops I pray for every day. Yeah. You know, that weight is, I don't even know. I mean, that's just, that's heavy, man. Yeah, miter weighs that's a lot. That's why I tell you, prayer is the most important thing. Yep. Prayer. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they were saying, well, we want him as Pope. So he took off and he went and he hid in a um, monastery. <laughs> And they went and hunted and him down, found him. and they found him. Yes. And they trapped him in there, and all the cardinals show up and like, what up, Hildebrand? Where'd you go? <laughs> and he's like, uh, uh, I, I had just, a thing. I was just cleaning up around here. So the cardinals basically he's said, a cell with a little bed and a, so the cardinals just said, nope, dude, you're the pope now. Here's your hat. Long live you, pope. Yes. And he's like, okay. So I think in his wisdom, he's like, this can't happen again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is not going to happen again where we need some structure because without mm-hmm. this, there's anarchy yeah. and yeah. people, Cardinals be tracking me down and making me Pope and that shouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's looking out for the rest of the brothers after him. Yeah. Uh. So and a lot of the things of, of Gregory the seventh's papacy do have to do with how the institution of bishops and popes happen. So he established the, and this is why he's on our list of greatest popes because he established the election process for the Pope, the college of Cardinals uh, at the time there was the thing called the investiture controversy. And the investiture controversy was where the local kings or the dukes or whomever were, were appointing the bishops. Or in the East, the emperor was appointing the um, the patriarch of Constantinople. And this is like the government is way too up in our business. Mm-hmm. They're the ones mm-hmm. electing a bishop, not the pope. That makes mm-hmm. no sense. So he fought this tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Now, the most powerful man in Europe at the time was the Holy Roman Emperor, Henry IV. And what does a, what does a great pope do when the gr- most powerful man in Europe is saying, I'm going to keep on picking the bishops, I don't care what you say, and I have all the power and all the troops, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. If you're pope, what do you do? You excommunicate him. Mm-hmm. And that was... Um, that was a bold move. That was a really, that could have went really wrong because he could have just marched over the Alps and had him killed and had someone else put into place. Mm-hmm. I, he even tried that. He actually even tried to have the election of an anti-pope to counter him. It didn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. So after Gregory VII excommunicated Henry, Henry IV, um, Henry IV had, uh, didn't want to go to hell. So he walked down to the castle where the Pope was staying at the time and stood out in the snow in the front gates, and Pope Gregory would not let him in for three days. So he was the Holy Roman Emperor, the most powerful man in the world. Like, this is the president of the United States now. Imagine if someone excommunicated the president, and the president decided to sit outside the gates, shoeless, in the snow, wearing sackcloth, waiting Mm. for the Pope to let him in. 
After three days, the Pope let him in, um, recognized his contrition, and lifted the excommunication. And through this process, essentially negotiated that you guys don't get to pick who bishops are. No secular power gets to elect who is the bishop of the people. Now, imagine right now if the governor of California, of Ohio, was the one who picked the bishop of Los Angeles or Cleveland. That's what would have happened. That would be a train wreck. And Mm -hmm. if it weren't for Gregory VII, that's how the way things would have went. So that's why he's on my list of greatest popes. That's excellent. I think of popular acclaim, like St. Ambrose was by popular acclaim. Mm -hmm. And thank God, because Milan was in in a terrible situation that he was facing. And the other thing that I think of is um, Santo Subito. Yep. The whole sense of... By popular acclaim, people are crying out, make this person a saint now. Mm-hmm. And JP2 received that popular acclaim. People were crying out mm-hmm. Santo Subito at his at his death as well. I was one chanting that along with the, the crowd as well. But, you know, it's there's a certain sense of an importance of hearing from the people of God, mm-hmm. how they feel toward a particular person. And there are still avenues and channels in which the people of God can make their opinion known, mm-hmm. and strongly so. We we need that. Well, I mean, the lay people have a canonical right to let the bishops know when they see something that is an issue. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you see something that is uh, wrong in your parish or something that is theologically wrong or you suspect uh, abuse or whatever, you can let your bishop know, and that is your canonical right, and it, it's good for the life of mm-hmm, the church. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, you need to let the person know. Well, you know, like because like so in, many, in the so gospel, many people they say start with the person, correct. meet with them face to face. If they are still obstinate, go to the next level. Yes. It's always the next level, but first meet directly with the lowest possible source or the person directly responsible. Yeah, and none of our problems together have escalated beyond our own. <laughs> yeah. There was that one time. Oh, okay. Well, I never got called. I don't, I don't think. Actually, no. I actually have had a call from the bishop's office before. <laughs> I was running a website like a decade ago, and we were. I was using. I was like, "Oh, it's the Bible. I'm putting Bible readings on there." They're like, no, man, you can't be using this translation. We own this translation. And I'm like, "It's the right. Bible. You don't own the Bible." They're like, "We own this translation. You can't publish this unless you are paying for publishing royalties because." Like they're like, look, there's justice in. They did this work. We paid people. People spent their lives work translating. This it costs money, yeah. and there's justice in paying for that. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. The bishop himself or one of his delegates? It was the, it was uh, one of the delegates. Yeah. It wasn't the bishop himself. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. Stealing stuff online, Ryan. <laughs> I'm stealing, stealing from the church. You better repent. I did. Yeah. I went with a, I went with a public domain mm-hmm. translation. Mm-hmm. Come at me now. This is uh, that's why I love when bishops have listening sessions. I love when pastors have listening sessions. I'm preparing a listening session for my own parish at this point. You know, I've only been in a few months, so I, I'm really looking forward to you know developing a sense of let me let me hear what the pastoral needs are of our community. Let me listen to what the people are saying so that we can structure and organize an effort to meet the needs of this particular church. Mm-hmm. And we have to listen to the people of God, and we have to be able to choreograph that. But we also have to be bold against voices that may be not leading mm-hmm. the people properly either. That's right. And I think Gregory is a, a perfect example of, of being that. I the mean, people to got excommunicate right. somebody, to excommunicate I mean, that's the a most whole another level. Yeah. The, to excommunicate the most powerful man in the that's world. Bold. And then have the have the backbone to wait and make him sit in the snow for th- Ooh, for, three days. for three days. That's a backbone, yeah, right that's, there. That's, that, was, that was it. But the emperor had some uh, calloused feet. I mean, yeah. that must have been well, pretty impressive. So 
No All right, the socks. next pope on our list <laughs> is one that I think very few people know about, and that is Pope Innocent the Third. Mm. Know anything about him? No, not really. I don't think. I, you he know is, what? If you if you start, I might I might recall a few things. Let's All right. See. So Pope Innocent the uh, Third, he was Pope thirteenth mm, century, uh, early thirteenth century, late twelfth century. Uh, before he was elected, he was named as a, he was known as Lothair of Segni, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reasons that he's on our list of greatest popes is he did two very important things that changed uh. the world and the church that the impact of cannot even be counted. And what he did was he basically allowed for the establishment of the Dominicans and the Franciscans. He was the Pope that authorized that the followers and St. Francis and St. Dominic themselves, their religious orders could be uh, get papal recognition. Can you imagine the church and the history of the church without the Franciscans or the Dominicans? No St. Francis, no Thomas Aquinas, no Padre Pio. Um, It's unimaginable what the church would be without them. And because of that, he's got to be on the list of the greatest popes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. is a masterful move. No Saint Junipero Serra, the, the missionaries to South America, mm-hmm. to North America, to California. You know, you think about that. I, I mean, I, my goodness. Uh, he also he also um, established the Fourth Crusade mm-hmm. to fight the uh, Albigensian heresy. So, and the Dominicans, was, the Dominicans were, were, were at the, the forefront of that. Of right. that uh, so there were religious approach. orders before. There was, but, but these not two as, that surfaced up in the Middle Middle Ages, monasticism, yeah, uh, you know, the, the yeah. Benedictines, yeah, there was the, the Augustinians, the Knights Templar, Knights Templar. So there were a bunch of religious orders um, and communities of men and women for sure, living mm-hmm. out living out celibacy, living out poverty. But uh, this is this is. But an these two religious piece. orders were revolutionary yeah. in, in the way uh, that they exercised their charisms in the church. And talk about reformers, right? So that's why St. Francis, the that revelation of being a pillar mm-hmm. and, and you know, <laughs> rebuild my church. You know, imagine Jesus entrusting you with something like that. You know, rebuild my church. That whole sense of being a reformer, if, if it wasn't for him, Francis would have never been received, recognized, and then his his uh, community yeah. affirmed right. so that growth can happen, so that the rebuilding process that we even still see today with a lot of different Franciscan orders, they're still continuing that beautiful work as well as the Dominicans. Absolutely. So, now, point. another thing that Innocent III did, and again, this is why it's a tragedy that he's not more well-known, is he called the Fourth Lateran Council, and that was the probably the biggest ecumenical council of the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And what the Fourth Lateran Council um, established, they they put in new canons in into the law of the church concerning the dogma of transubstantiation. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, he gave us essentially the teaching on the true presence in the Eucharist, the Dominicans, the um, Franciscans, and he reformed the way that uh, uh, abuses of the clergy were happening. This is an important pope who is sadly overlooked by history. Is mm-hmm. he a saint? No, no, he's not even appear. a blessed. He's not even beatified. Right. I don't even see that. So we've got to do a little cause, you know, start a little cause of praying his intercession. Right. Uh, and I mean, accomplished a lot. Yeah. So I don't know the circumstances around Hawaii. He has not been beatified or canonized, but either way, um, not every great church person has to be a saint. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're in heaven, they're a saint. They don't have to be recognized on earth, but no, uh, 
Thank God for his ministry. Yeah. That, yeah. A lot of grace there. What that's do we for got sure. next? We're on number four. We're no, we are now on number five. And uh, we're going to talk about Pope Pius V. Oh, that's a perfect number. Pope, Pope Pius V yeah. coming in here at the fifth pick <laughs> on our list. Um, again, a really, really important figure in the history of the church. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the things that he um, he oversaw, so he was a great reformer, right? Mm-hmm. He was. Um, he's coming right after the Reformation. And he was the Pope that really, I think in the greatest part, led the Counter-Reformation. He's the one who published um, all the works of the Council of Trent. And the Council of Trent, uh, again, saved the church and really reestablished. That was, that was the church's comeback album after the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't be overstated how important it was. Um, he also established the norms of the Tridentine Mass. So, you know, for all you Latin Mass goers, I mean, Pius V was out here um, making that possible and establishing the norms for the celebration of the Mass, the Mass of the Ages that for the next 500 years would create saints and uh, and encourage the life of the Church and the reverence of the, of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, so even for that matter alone, he should definitely be listed among the great popes. But to land on this list, he also established the Feast of the Holy Rosary. Now, you know the, the history behind the Feast of the Holy Rosary. That is because of, in 1571, a huge force of Ottoman Turks were coming to invade Europe. And if, I, if you were a betting man, you were betting on the Ottomans. They were going to win. They completely outnumbered uh, the resistant forces in Europe. And the Ottomans had already taken over Constantinople about a hundred years before. And next was Rome. So, I mean, this is a precarious time. I mean, it could have been very much that after Constantinople, people expected Rome was going to fall too to the Turks and you would have a, you know, Muslim Europe, Mm. Uh, Constantinople, then Rome, then Paris. I mean, they were all going to fall because that's how powerful the Turks were. And he did something where he led and he called for the establishment of a thing called the Holy League, where he got a bunch of the Catholic leaders of Europe together and said, guys, we need to band together in the face of this threat. And then there was this massive battle that was going to be happening where the Holy League versus the Ottoman Turks. And he knew that by the establishment of this Holy League, they had a fighting chance. But do you know what happened next? Mm-hmm. Mm. I do know what happened next, but first, before we get into that, a word from our sponsor. Oh, well played. Right? Well played. Please do, though. So we've got two wonderful sponsors, Covenant Eyes and Exodus 90, both great disciplinary tools that are out there for you. One, with Exodus 90, it's a great program for men to bond together where iron sharpens iron, where we go through a period of time of 90 days praying through Exodus and truly entering into a life of austere disciplines. So think of a cold shower in the morning, think of constant prayer of praying the rosary and limiting your time online to just business work. So when you think about what this could provide to you in a type of fasting, spending three months growing closer to God and growing close to your brother, I'm telling you, it's it's a great program out there. I'm excited about starting it they myself. Have, yeah, they have an excellent app that help you guide through it, help you to build your little uh, mini fraternities. Uh, for the other men who are helping you with Exodus 90. So you can go to Exodus90.com or you can download the app on the iTunes or the Google Play stores. And with Covenant Eyes, if you go now and, and type in a promo code on there, Catholic Talk, it'll give you 30 days free use for this basic software that 
prevents you from truly entering into the World Wide Web alone. Entering into the World Wide Web alone could be a dangerous situation, and you could fall into different pockets of use of pornography. This Covenant Eyes would create a sense of accountability with your friends. So men and women, this is there for you. Yeah, a lot of a lot of anti-pornography software is a filter. And mm-hmm. there's ways around filters. If somebody is addicted to pornography or really struggles with it, they'll find ways around it. But Covenant Eyes is revolutionary because it's an accountability software. It's not just a crude filter. It's something more. It's a, it's a way to educate the person and it's a way to provide the infrastructure and the support for somebody who struggles with pornography, mm-hmm. which is a massive danger to men in this world or women as well. Yeah. And it allows for you to have um, somebody to lean on to help you in that struggle. So Covenant Eyes uh, is really a very revolutionary leading software to help people overcome or never get addicted to pornography. And I see that as a recovery of what the apostolic communions of, of these original communities looked like. Mm-hmm. They would gather together under the roof of whomever was hosting, mm-hmm. and they would come together, they would sing a hymn, they would open up the testimonies of, about Jesus, and they would break bread together, and they would share with one another their limitations, their sins, their, you know. Modern communication separates us because it's all done digitally, it's, and you don't have that that closeness and that that accountability and that fraternity with other people. So Exodus uh, Covenant Eyes helps to get around that and understands the way that people communicate mm-hmm. now and helps you deal with the dangers of the digital world. So mm-hmm. if you go to covenanteyes.com, use the promo code Catholic Talk, you get 30 days free of the software and see if that's the solution for you if you struggle with pornography, because I know a lot of you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a very common and prevalent problem, and this will help uh, help you overcome that. So be sure to check out those two, Exodus 90 and Covenant. Yeah, those are our partners for the show. So the Battle of Lepanto. There you go. Bingo. The Battle of Lepanto, October 7th, 1571. A massive Muslim fleet of ships were coming to invade Christendom. Yeah. And they were going to win. We are outnumbered. And the only thing that was standing in their way was a ragtag bunch of Catholic leaders put together by the Pope. And Our Lady. And uh, let's see. There's our secret weapon. That's the secret weapon right there. Yeah, we had a ringer. Yeah. Uh, So Pope uh Pius V, Pope St. Pius V, uh, (laughs) he organized that everybody in all of Christendom needed to pray the rosary in anticipation of this battle. They knew it was happening any day. It was imminent. And he established just a constant praying of the rosary for the the victory and the protection of Christendom. And against all odds and with the help of Our Lady, he, the the Holy League were able, even though massively outnumbered, to defeat the Muslim Navy. And mm-hmm. this turned the tides of history where the advance of the Ottomans were taking over Europe. And without this, Europe and the world would look much different. And I think that's a common theme that all these popes, the world would look different without their actions massively. We could um, do a whole show on the Battle of Lepanto. Absolutely. That actually would be a great show. We should yeah. bring somebody in for yeah. the for the Battle of That would be great. So, somebody smarter than Ryan. <laughs> it's, it's hard right, to we'll find. See. What's the next pope? <laughs> well, real quick, though, but because because of that, he established, Pope Pius V, established the Feast of Our Lady of Victory, mm-hmm. which was eventually renamed Our Lady of the Holy Rosary. So October wow. 7th, when you're celebrating that mm-hmm. that beautiful feast day and you're praying your rosary, that's the 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 uh, origin of it. So that's what we owe to Pope Pius V. Thanks, Pope Pius V. <laughs> Good looking out. Here's to you, yeah, Pope man. Pius V. Pope Pius V. He five also declared five five Thomas Aquinas a doctor. He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good job, Ryan. Yeah. Excellent doctor. work. Doctor. 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 Thomas. Thomas. Pope. Doctor. Pius V to Pope Pope Pius, Pius. V. 
The ninth. The ninth. Oh, the ninth. The tenth is the bomb, though. He, he was I love on. Pope Pius the ninth. Yeah. So now Pope Pius the ninth. <laughs> now here's why Pope not Pius the ninth. Who is this guy? Hold on. <laughs> Giovanni Maria Mastai Ferretti. Right. His last name's Ferrari. Ferretti. All right. Yeah. John Mary. Yeah. Nineteenth century. Right. So. Pope Pius IX came in, blessed Pope Pius IX, came into the papacy at an incredibly, again, difficult time. The uh, For the last thousand years, the popes had been secular powers as well as uh, religious powers. They were the, the rulers and governors of the papal states, which was essentially a huge portion of Italy. I mean, they were essentially secular kings and also the uh, the prince of the church. Now, during the middle half of the 19th century in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, um, Italy revolted. And um, that's, that, that's called the reunification or the unification of Italy, where Italy actually became a country. Before that, you had the kingdom of the two Sicilies, you had all the city states, you had the papal states, you had, you know, Venice and Genoa and every, there are all these different powers well, I think it was, uh, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Garibaldi who came in and basically led the unification of Italy as this one secular country, which is the Italy that we know today. That's mm-hmm. why they have the tricolor flag and everything like that. But for that to happen, that meant that the Pope was under actual military conflict and the Papal States were being absorbed militarily. And they lost all of their temporal power, and they were driven back into the gates only of the Vatican. So from what had been a huge nation, now was within a couple square miles. Mm. Um, now, dealing with all of this, that, that's a huge loss for the papacy, that you no longer have the income, you no longer have the secular power to buffer and to give you the freedom. And into this steps Pope Pius IX, blessed Pope Pius IX. And he essentially, I think more than any other figure, established the modern papacy. So when we think of popes now, it's the Vatican. They are spiritual leaders. They go to other countries. They negotiate peace. They lead people on faith and morals. But for almost all the history of the papacy, this was not the case. They were a secular ruler as well. And that was most often their most important role in society. So now when we look at a pope, the way that the pope operates in the 20th and 21st century really is due to Pope Pius IX. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he established, uh, number one, the First Vatican Council, which established the uh, decree of papal infallibility. Um, he was the longest serving pope in history. No pope besides him. 31 years. Yeah, 31 mm-hmm. years he was the pope. And having that constant... Um, tempered and considered type of person on the Sea of Saint and the Sea of Saint Peter during this upheaval and this massive transition in the nature of the papacy, having someone so reliable in there. Um, in today's day and age, we would not have the papacy that we have without this man. So that's why it's so important mm-hmm. to remember what he contributed to the church. Yeah, and another thing that that he contributed to the church is receiving the Byzantine icon that today we consider Our Lady of Perpetual Help. He named that icon. Oh, really? He, he named Our help Lady of Perpetual Help yeah. the Roman people, right? Yeah. So, so you think of, uh, you know, the Redemptorists and, and 
um, you know, the sense of uh, connection to Our Lady of Perpetual Help, he he uh, was the one who gave that title to Our Lady, that beautiful icon. I love that icon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was not Garibaldi. It was uh, Victor Emmanuel. Ah, yes. So before I get... Uh, Face so, tweets at my face. We've only got one left. And, and he's got to be the best. It's got to be the best. Now, it's either Pope Pius X. I'll tell you right so now. So now, now, before we get to our last pick. Benedict or Pope St. John Paul II. So now, before we get to our last pick, that's the one. I threw in some honorable mentions. Pius X. Pius okay. X is just the most gentle and probably, in my mind, the most holy pope. Yeah, I love, I love Pius X. He was holy. I mean, you look at a picture of him, you're like, this man is, this man communes with mm -hmm. the church and with Jesus Christ. He is a holy man. And he was so simple, but so, he was magnificent in his simplicity. He looked regal, but he was a simple man. I think his father was a mailman, mm -hmm. right? Where mm -hmm. most of the time popes were coming from, you know, very powerful Noble yeah. families of great wealth from yep. Milan and from yep. Northern Italy. And this was a regular man, yeah. a very humble man who, mm -hmm. probably the most humble of popes, who today his name is, a, you know, equated with just the beauty and the grandeur of real faith. And and the depths of Eucharistic devotion and the distribution of Holy yes. Communion to the children. That's right. So that that's a that's a big deal what he provided to to the church and as well as in his youth ministry. You so know, he's, before, the, he's the first youth minister pope. Yep. Yeah, and he, he told people to go to Mass every day. That's you right. Know, yeah. He kind of encouraged Daily that Daily Communion. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah was, he was very holy. Now, Do I'm you not, know the first time in the Vatican that I was able to exercise my my role as extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, I was holding the chalice while the priest distributed Holy Communion by intinction. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most powerful liturgies that I just randomly happened to fall into just because I was traveling and the priest and I were having a conversation waiting to go through security. It was a, it was a group from North Carolina. And I hold that still so genuinely in my heart today because that was the first time that I operated in a form of ministry in the Vatican at St. Peter's. And I was holding the chalice right there next to his altar where, where he, where we celebrated that liturgy. Now, two more honorable mentions, Peter. Pi well, we already did him. Okay. Pius the 12th. Mm -hmm. Pius the 12th is, oh man, what a, honestly, what a perfect Pope. As far as like, if you were building a Pope, <laughs> and you wanted to, like, let's put all the best parts of a pope into one. In my mind, Pius Twelfth is that pope. He was prayerful. He was shrewd. He was, when the, they did that show, the, uh, the, the young pope, mm -hmm. and it's Pius Thirteenth. but all the, the mannerisms, how, he, how Pius Twelfth um, would go out and raise his arms and how he would hold his hands mm -hmm. and the, the things that he wrote theologically, the things he wrote for, for society going through, World War II and the po and the nuclear age and all of these things, he navigated through some immensely difficult and changing times and did it well. I always say that Pope Pius XII just knew how to pope. Mm -hmm. I mean, using the word pope as a as a verb, he did it so he well. He poped so he well. He just knew it how was to like pope. he was born to do it. He was, he was <laughs> born to pope. And then the last one that honorable mentions is uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth. I just, this would not be a show with you not, in it without, without mentioning him. Benedict XVI. I don't think I'd be a Catholic without him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was I was a nominal Catholic. I was baptized, but I just I happened to start reading a book yeah. by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Well, was it Introduction to Christianity? Or? No, it was actually the Life of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, it was really? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I just read it, and I'm like, I've never heard somebody who 
uses their mind in such a way that I relate to as well. Mm -hmm. And the way that he spoke, wrote, and the way he, his mannerisms just changed my life. And he was just, um, man, some of the, you know, lifting the restrictions on the Latin mass that that's going to have reverberations going into the future. Cause the Latin mass, um, those parishes keep growing and some of the other parishes keep shrinking. So that's going to have some impact going into the future. Um, some of the ways that he structured now, uh, and you're just seeing the real fruits of this, the, how to combat sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of that. He set up a lot of that legwork that, um, established what will help clean up hopefully this disgusting mess. Mm-hmm. Um, he established a lot of reforms, a lot of things. So I think, uh, his history is still going to be told by historians 25, 50 years from now. But to my mind, I just, I couldn't love Pope Benedict the 16th more. Yeah. I feel the same way. But the last Pope on our list of greatest Popes is my Pope, St. John Paul the Great. Yes. Yeah. That's my Pope, man. I think, yeah. Now, he's not really officially called the Great yet, but he deserves in any way, every way, shape, and form. Absolutely. He is Pope St. John Paul the Great. Mm -hmm. He is. Traveled more than any other Pope. Started World Youth Day. Mm Mm-hmm. Which Theology still the, has like an impact. I mean, even yeah. in Denver, mm-hmm. I talked to the Bishop of Denver, Aquila, at the airport. And I was like, there's so many great things going on in Denver. I was like, how much is that like, you know, drawn from the Pope's visit? Oh, like, how cool. And he's like, it's it's amazing. It's a grace that still is pervading oh, in our community. Awesome. And you, you know how many that? vocations <laughs> were born out of that Denver? Yeah. I've met so you, many people that attended that as, yeah. as kids. Yeah. And that's where they receive their vocation to I the priesthood or religious that, life. I read something and I can't, I don't have the exact numbers, but like 60% of all priests who have been ordained in the last 20 years have went to a world youth day. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if that isn't something that is incredibly important and powerful that he is, he kind of, um, helped rebuild the vocationary uh, structure of the church through world youth. I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did theology of the body. He took down communism mm-hmm. with, uh, the, you know, with his staunch refusal to bend to the yeah. USSR. Mm-hmm. Um, he was shot and lived. He was stabbed and lived. He, his lifetime was Hit by a bus. And I lived. mean, he, he <laughs> fought, he fought Nazis. He fought communists. Um, he fought sexual addiction. He fought, um, all kinds of things. I mean, this man was just not just one of the greatest popes. I mean, he is literally one of the greatest men who has ever lived. A great and mind. Period. The most resilient spirit of joy and fearlessness living out that call to be not afraid. His devotion to our lady. That is just so inspiring. His totus tuus to give his entire priesthood and his entire life to her yeah. from the time he was a child, even before he became, you know, uh, and he, when he was an adolescent. Yeah. That's it, why I'm so, I'm so excited about the pilgrimage, the yes. Catholic talk show pilgrimage. For those of you who don't know, you can go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash uh, pilgrimage or forward slash JP two, and you can learn more. But you know, when we're going to get to go to Poland and we're going to get to see the place he was born and celebrate mass for his hundredth birthday, 100th we birthday. are celebrating mass yes. in the birthplace of John Paul II on his 100th birthday in Vadovice. <laughs> that is incredible. And we're going to follow his life and we're going to go. From Vadovice all the way through Krakow where divine, he was the administrator of the, the archdiocese there. We're going to see the Divine Mercy, yes. which he get elevated. Some mm-hmm. We're going to some pierogies. Oh, we're definitely going to eat some pierogies. Uh, and then we're Maybe get, have some Gluvine. Yeah, then we're going to get to go to Rome and pray uh, and have Mass celebrated at his tomb. So To see where is, the attempted really, assassination almost 
which is really powerful. Like oh, the yeah. mass at his, t- his tomb oh, yeah, just emanates like, you know, on uh, this pilgrimage, the glory of God, mm-hmm. it's amazing. We are going to be able to capstone or his whole life from the mass went from where he was born on his hundredth birthday he was baptized yeah. to, um, to where, you know, he was buried and where his graces, uh, and his intercession are helping the church to this day. I just, really? it's going to be so amazing. Yeah, so it's going to be awesome. And his papacy was almost as long as, he was the second longest pope yeah. in history. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty long. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Well, and you know, one of the things that I just don't think it's recognized enough is after Vatican II, things are getting a little bit goofy. Mm-hmm. Things were getting a little bit nuts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think Pi, uh, Paul the Sixth, Pope Saint Paul the Sixth, even said the smoke of Satan has entered the church, right? And he was one of the popes who oversaw Vatican II, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Look, these are things are going sideways." Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for this long, constant very thoughtful and very philosophical and holy papacy. Dude, and Vatican II could have went really off the rails. And, and, and thank God and not for have, Pope Benedict yes. and John Paul II, who were there. Yeah. They were at Vatican II. And it's not to say that Vatican II was the evil council no, from, no, he from was the able, dark star. Of, he was... Yeah, it's not the Darth Vader. It's council. not a Darth Vader council, but but the the point is is that both of these boys were there and they were at the immediacy of what was being communicated, not what was done in praxis, where right. where people just kind of did whatever they wanted to do. No, like they were there intimately contributing in the documents, and not the listening. spirit of Vatican II. Yeah, yeah, and but even the, when you think of the spirit of Vatican II, like the spirit of Vatican II is rooted in the collegiality. The spirit of Vatican II is a ghost with a sheet over it playing kumbaya on acoustic no, guitar. No, that is not. No, oh, that is not. The spirit of that is the, was. the opportunistic people that attached themselves and blamed it on Vatican II. Right. I mean, this is the, the role, This Vatican was the II. rollout of a massive change in the way the, of the Truly. life of the church, and it could have went very difficult. I mean, you see companies rolling out new products or you know whatever they launch mm-hmm. a new uh, business structure or website, mm-hmm. and things go very poorly. Mm-hmm. But without John, but you Paul need II, good models that that put on the clothing, right? But without and I John tell you, Paul without II, both Benedict and John yeah. Paul II, who were very close, without both of them, we wouldn't have seen it postured the way that it needed to it be. It could postured. have snowballed and rode downhill in Absolutely. a way that no one intended. Absolutely, and yeah. So, but thank goodness for good shepherds. Thank goodness for great bishops, including these two bishops yeah. of Rome. Uh, you know, because where would we be without them for yeah. sure? So those are the, our seven best popes. Again, a, th- a big thank you to uh, Charles Colomb. Uh, make sure you go out and read his book, Vickers of Christ. Uh, it is an excellent book. I've, 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 li- I've read it probably 15 times. That's I excellent. love that book yeah. so much. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. If you go to catholictalkshow.com and click on this episode's page, I'll have a link to that in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll also have links to the the pilgrimage that we're doing for the life of John Paul II, the mm-hmm. celebration. Uh, we'll have links to Exodus 90, uh, so you can download that app, our sponsor. We'll have a link to CovenantEyes.com, so you can go there and use uh, promo code Catholic Talk, get 30 days free. And don't forget the link on the URL that puts you to CatholicTalkShow.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as connecting with us on all of our platforms, listening in on Spotify, iTunes, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, as well as connecting with us on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and like our channel, and we will continue to provide this wonderful content to you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. All these uh, holy popes, pray for us. Pray yes. for us. All right. Amen. Amen.